Alaska. Translate the word and you will find out that it means great country. This excursion in history is the story of how the United States acquired the great country of Alaska. The discovery of Alaska probably came about because of its geographic location. From Asia, the Aleutian Islands afford an easy access to Alaska. Once an explorer from Siberia reached the westernmost island in the Aleutians, the island of Attu, the visibility from one island to the next probably enabled him to reach the great country. The controlling element in Alaska's climate is the Kuro Siwu, or Black Stream. It is a Japanese ocean current rising in the equatorial regions of the Pacific Ocean. It washes the coast of southern Alaska and keeps the temperature at about 50 degrees. There are many who claim that they discovered Alaska, but the credit for the achievement must go to the person who can scientifically prove his case. And the first man to do that was a Dane by the name of Vitus Bering. Bering was born in 1681. He grew up near the sea, and when he was old enough, he sailed for the East India Company. By 1710, he joined the Russian Navy, and in 1725, Peter the Great appointed him to seek a passage from Russia to India and China through the Arctic. Besides this, Tsar Peter the Great also wanted to know if Asia and America were joined or separated by sea. In 1741, Bering, who was then 60 years old, began his voyage of discovery. On his ship, the St. Peter, Bering had with him a German naturalist by the name of Steller. Steller took excellent notes of the voyage, and his notes will be the best authority as to Bering's discovery of the great country. On July 15, 1741, the coast of Alaska was sighted. Bering and his courageous band of men continued to explore the coastline of the great country until they had gone as far south as 5440. After exploring the territory, the men finally returned to St. Petersburg with the news of the fabulous country that they had sighted. They told of furs, animals, minerals, and timber resources that staggered the imagination of those who listened to their tale. Russian traders were the first to respond to Bering's discovery. Their main interest in Alaska was to exploit the furs that were to be found there, and in 1799, these Russian traders organized the Russian-American Fur Company. It was designed to reap the advantages of the trade in pelts. From 1840 on, the Russian-American Fur Company 
ran into financial trouble. For by 1840, the furs, for the most part, had been trapped out by the trappers. Then, during the Crimean War in the 1850s, when Russia was at war with England, there was a great thought on the part of the Russians to sell Alaska to the United States rather than have it fall into the hands of the British. But it seems that England had enough trouble with the Crimean War and the Taiping Rebellion in China to bother about Alaska. Finally, in the 1860s, a commission was sent to Alaska by the Russian Minister of Finance to study the conditions of the Russian-American Fur Company. After the commission had analyzed the situation, they reported their findings back to St. Petersburg. There, in front of the Tsar, they had nothing to say that was good about Alaska. Their recommendation was, sell it. By 1865, the Russian-American Fur Company was very near bankruptcy. A meeting was held in St. Petersburg, and there Tsar Alexander II had to make a decision as to what should be done with the territory. The idea of colonizing the territory was ruled out by the Tsar because he felt that the people of Alaska were too far away from the imperial government for effective rule. Besides that, colonization would involve a great expense. Not only that, but war with England was looming on the horizon once again. So Alexander II decided that the best thing he could do with Alaska would be to sell the territory before it was lost to England in a war. In January of 1867, the Russians sent to the United States a minister. His main goal was to sell to the United States Alaska. The price? At least five million dollars. The man with whom the Russian minister would negotiate this sale would be the United States Secretary of State, William H. Seward. Seward was an expansionist and he would purchase anything he could lay his hands on. However, before we begin to negotiate this deal, perhaps we had better examine some of the rudimentary rules of salesmanship. One of the first rules of selling is to make the person buying the item feel that you will be at a great loss without the possession you are now selling. The idea behind this is to make him pay a higher price. The Russian minister to the United States would be Eduard de Stokel. He arrived in March of 1867 and he immediately let it be known that Russia was willing to part with Alaska if the price was right. When a highly overexcited Secretary of State Seward heard the news that Russia was willing to sell Alaska, he quickly summons the Russian minister to a conference. Once the conference got underway, Seward simply stated that the best the United States could possibly offer for Alaska was $7,200,000. De Stokel gasped for a moment, 
caught his wits about him, and then told Seward that he would have to write the czar and make sure that the price was all right with him. Why waste so much time, asked Mr. Seward. Why not use the newly laid Atlantic cable and send the message that way? Seward was anxious, so anxious, in fact, that he was even willing to pick up the tab for the message, which was about $3,000. On the evening of Friday, March 29, 1867, Seward was playing cards in his parlor with the members of his family when his house servant announced that the Russian minister was calling. Show him in, said Seward with a great deal of eagerness. De Stokel was ushered in, and after the formalities, the Russian minister de Stokel said, I have a dispatch by cable from my government, Mr. Seward. The emperor gives his consent to the sale of Alaska. If you like, tomorrow I will come to the department and we can enter upon the treaty. Seward, with a smile of satisfaction, pushed away from the table and said, Why wait till tomorrow, Mr. Stokel? Let us make the treaty tonight. But, but your department is closed, said de Stokel. You have no clerks, and my secretaries are scattered about town. Never mind that, said Seward. If you can muster your legation together before midnight, you will find me waiting at the Department of State, which will be open and ready for business. In less than two hours, lights were streaming out of the windows of the Department of State, and apparently business was going on as if it were midday. By 4 a.m., Saturday morning, March 30, 1867, it was done. The treaty was engrossed, signed, sealed, and ready for transmission to the Senate of the United States, where it must be ratified by at least a two-thirds majority. The next day, the newspapers broke the story and public opinion of Seward's purchase of Alaska was far from favorable. The people of the United States had been preoccupied with the problems of the Civil War and Reconstruction and were not immediately concerned with the purchase. As far as the people were concerned, for the time being there was no demand for more territory. The people didn't need these frozen regions. What would we do with a region whose chief product was polar bears and glaciers. Secretary of State Seward got it from all sides. One newspaper ran this as their front page story. Cash, cash, cash. Cash paid for cast off territories north or south. Any impoverished monarch wishing to retire from the colonization business may find a good buyer by addressing a letter to William H. Seward Washington, D.C. It was obvious to Seward that what he had to do now was to sway public opinion to his side. If he didn't, the treaty wouldn't have a prayer of being ratified by the Senate. To sway the public opinion his way, Seward began an education campaign throughout the United States. In all the papers, he had articles published showing the people that Alaska could be a beneficial and useful territory to the United States. And little by little, things began to come Seward's way. The man in the United States Senate, who was in a position to make or break the treaty at this time, 
was a person by the name of Charles Sumner. He was the chairman of the powerful Senate Foreign Relations Committee. It would be through this man's committee that the treaty would travel. If this committee recommended to the United States Senate that they pass the treaty, the chances were about a hundred to one that the treaty would be ratified. If, on the other hand, the committee turned thumbs down on the treaty, it was as good as dead. Seward enlisted the aid and support of Charles Sumner and was able to convince Sumner that this was a good deal. Seward did such a good job of selling the idea to Sumner that Sumner personally used his great influence and championed the treaty through the United States Senate. On April 9, 1867, Sumner occupied the floor of the Senate for three hours. There, he gave a magnificent explanation in defense of the treaty. Speaking with only a single sheet of notes before him, he pointed out Alaska's benefits, timber, fisheries, furs, mineral resources, and how all this would add to the character of the United States as one of its possessions. Then came the crucial test, the vote of the senators. Would the treaty be approved? The answer was yes. By a vote of 37 to 2, the treaty was ratified. Well now, it looks as if Secretary of State Seward has purchased a piece of land. But with what would he pay the Russians? Only the House of Representatives can appropriate money from the United States Treasury and the House was downright indignant toward the idea of shelling out $7,200,000 for something about which they had not been consulted on first. So the House of Representatives now began to debate the issue as to whether or not it wanted to purchase Alaska. While the heated debates were taking place in the House, Secretary of State Seward pulled the same maneuver on Congress that Thomas Jefferson did when he purchased the Louisiana Territory from France. What Seward did was to send a detachment of soldiers under the command of General Davis to Alaska for the purpose of receiving the territory from Russia. Accompanying General Davis was the first United States Commissioner to Alaska, Lovell H. Rousseau. Mr. Rousseau would officially receive the territory from the Russians. On October 18, 1867, Russian and American soldiers paraded in front of the governor's mansion at Sitka. There, with cannons booming and bells pealing, the soldiers stood at attention, facing each other. Then, with all the pomp that goes with an official ceremony like this, the Russian colors were lowered and folded as their national anthem was played. Once this was done, the Russian commander said to Commissioner Rousseau, By authority from His Majesty, the Emperor of Russia, I transfer to the United States the territory of Alaska. There was a moment of silence 
And then the cannons again boomed while the bells rang out. Now the flag of the United States of America was hoisted. Once the flag reached the top of the flagpole, the band struck up our national anthem. Seward had pulled a beautiful maneuver. The House of Representatives now realized that they would have to pass the money appropriation. They knew that if they refused to vote the money, it would make the United States look like a bunch of deadbeats, and it would cause bad relations with Russia. So rather than have the United States degrade itself and haul down its flag over the territory of Alaska, the House of Representatives appropriated the money. And so it became history that the United States acquired the great land of Alaska. It was probably one of the best deals that the United States ever made. And if you would figure out how much the cost came to in 1868, you would find out that the cost of the territory averaged about two cents an acre. And now today, Alaska, the great country, it is the last frontier of the United States. The state of Alaska today has only about 350,000 people living in a land whose area is half the size of the United States itself. Today, Alaska offers to the younger generation a challenge, a challenge to settle and conquer this last frontier.